Hope you're all doing well on Time Change Sunday. For, you know, pastors, spring forward is kind of like bump starting your engine, you know. It's not ideal, but it gets the job done on days like today. And so um, I just want to invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14 as we think through and pray through the scriptures together. Just to open up our hearts to this. As a community, we've been opening up the uh, Gospel of Mark now for a year or so. We're in the last couple chapters. And uh, we have reached a story called the, the Garden of Gethsemane. This is a very important story, very famous. There's lots of different, uh, there's just, it, it, when you get into a story like this, you start to relive just all the different takes on it, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John all have different things that they add in this specific space. And so for me, I just like to stay right where the storyteller that I'm reading from is. Um, But just know that like all these things are going on in your heart and my heart when we read through this story. I like to think of it like when I watch a movie with somebody for the first time, even though I've seen it before, but maybe they haven't. That just feeling that you get like maybe this was the first time again, you just get to relive it. but as I've been thinking through this story this week, it's just a, it, we really start to see like a deep emotional pain and we start to see Jesus really in, embracing what love costs and what love is doing to him, his love for us and what that's doing to him. And I was thinking about this book that um, many of you have probably read called The Brothers Karamazov. No, you think that's not, this is one of the most greatest novels of all time. And so um, there's a chapter in it called The Lady of Little Faith, where the minister, there's a priest and his apprentice who go visit her and she's struggling with doubt. And she said, his advice to her is to start loving people in really hard ways. And even though right now you're doubting God, you'll put yourself in a situation where you're actually going to start uh, doubting yourself, and in that space is where you are driven, in a sense, to see the reality of God at work in your life. He goes on to tell her uh, this word, that this line that struck with me when he says, love when it is in action is a harsh and dreadful thing. He goes on to say, it's not like just thinking about love or doing it for show. It's a labor. It's fortitude and can even become for some a science And it's this like love that is harsh and dreadful that we start to see in action here in Jesus's life where he in this dark space is doing some things um, that I think we can look at and wonder like as we follow Jesus on a path to the cross, as he is on a path to the cross, is there something that we can learn as we look at our shepherd, as we look at our leader and how he interacts with this path that can help us to stay on track. So with that, I'd like to invite you to read and stand with me for Mark chapter 14 and verse 32. We just had the, uh, the Last Supper or, you know, the Passover Seder. Jesus has some uh, words to share with his disciples about impending betrayal. And then it says in verse 32, they went to a place then called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John further with him and began to become deeply distressed and troubled. 
He said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. Keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, this hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet what not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes had become heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. Returning a third time, he said, are you sleeping and resting still? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. For those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Amen. I was thinking of a story in my uh, youthful zeal, which usually just means in my blind arrogance. Um, when I was younger, there was a, thank you, there was a, uh, there was a time where my buddies and I were thinking, we're reading this story, and we're like, I can't believe these guys fell asleep on Jesus. Who would ever do that? So we said, All right, this coming Monday, Thursday, we're going to have an all-night prayer night. And we're going we're gonna to stay up the whole night praying. And so we went and got everything set up with the, you know, the Bibles and the candle, the music, the thing, whatever you need. We're getting snacks and things ready to just do this, right? And I don't know what happened that night, but I think something happened because it's like that night was a longer night than the regular nights. It was like twice as long. I don't know if you know this, but the dark night is a long time. And we started pulling out all the tricks, like praying through verses, you know, slowly, just sort of, uh, you know, squeezing out all the juice we can. And we got to uh, one of the prayers in the Bible in Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, you know, the one God of Israel. And as you go on and read that, there's the, um, the passage after that says, talk about these things. Bind them to your hands and your forehead and your doorposts. Talk about them as you go along as you rise and when you sleep. And then we thought, man, I wonder if anybody's ever talked about these things when they go to sleep and the spirit started moving, you know? We started to really think maybe we should change the plan here and start to like try and go to sleep while talking. Um, and before you know it, this was the case. We joined the disciples in their But of course, this story isn't just about staying awake, like just being able to stay awake at night. There's something going on in this story that I think is a, bigger, is a part of a bigger picture. And as I just said before, Jesus is on a path to the cross. He has the cross before him. And as followers, his, his disciples in this story and you and I, if we are followers of Jesus, we're always invited onto the, cro onto the path to the cross. We're always being told what we read in Mark 8, 34. Pick up your cross and follow me. Now, my question is in this story, 
Are there things that we can do or things that we can think or things that we can participate in that keep us on that path? Is there a way that we can stay on track? That's what I want to talk about because there are characters in this story who get off track. And I know that there's times in my life where I get off track as well. And maybe there's a way that we can look to Jesus, our shepherd and our leader, and say, what did you do? How can I follow you and stay on track? Because I want to be formed by the cross. I want to be identified with the cross. I want to be on this path in life. I want to stay on this path. How do we stay on track? Well, this is a story, as we can see, that's set in a place called the Mount of Olives in a garden called Gethsemane. Gethsemane is just a word, in, it's this title that means olive press. And this is why I start to really think like that this is an important scenario as we just evaluate how do we stay on track because when you see the just pressing, right, this story, it's a, it's a fitting place for this to take place is that this olive press this oil press place where it, Jesus is appearing to be in anguish. There's something going on that's just hard here. He's out in the moonlight, this dark night, just feeling like he is just full of uh, emotion and tension. Did you notice as I was reading it? Jesus said to them, I am overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This is killing me. All jokes aside, the Garden of Gethsemane becomes a place where we just get to point to and realize there are, a there are going to be times while we're on the path to the cross where you find yourself in the Garden of Gethsemane feeling deeply distressed and troubled. And if you're in that place right now, I just want to wonder and imagine with you, what would Jesus, what would Jesus invite us into? in a place of sorrow and trouble and deep distress. If you would raise your hand and say, in, in a sense right now, yes, I feel like Jesus is talking, but I'm feeling that right now. I'm, I'm stressed out to the point of death. Furthermore, the language of this story also indicates that there is kind of a significant contrast and it's directly related to times of trouble. Let me point this out. A few weeks ago, when we uh, study chapter 13, just the previous chapter to this. It's a chapter that Jesus details and outlines trouble and calamity and things that are gonna happen. In a sense, even just telling people, like, when you follow me, you just need to know, like, I'm not the type of Messiah right now that's just gonna make sure that everything is happy and okay in the future. I'm actually gonna prepare you to be resilient and to be on a path during the calamity and the trouble that that. Uh, makes sense to our uh, effort in our movement. So he talks about this, but the, the language that's in that chapter is really telling and connected to this. I've been kind of trying to keep track of this. As you may remember, I've talked about this before throughout this study of the Gospel of Mark about words of perception. They're peppered throughout this whole story about people who see who shouldn't be seeing. Blind people are seeing and people who are not blind are not seeing, right? Like there, there's people who, who are outsiders, but they are understanding who Jesus is. They, under, they see him. People who are inside do not. And you see this woven throughout the whole thing. We get to chapter 13. When I was hearing that read a couple weeks ago, like sirens were going off uh, in my mind throughout the whole thing. 
right? Like the whole chapter starts off with the disciples saying, look, look at these towering sharks. They're like, look. You have Jesus saying, watch out, beware, be alert, be on guard, get ready to run. Be, you know, he's constantly telling them throughout this chapter, look, watch. At the very last line of the chapter, you even see that where he said, to what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch, watch out. And only here, just a few paragraphs later, all, a lot of that language seems to circle back into it. What does he say to the disciples? Keep watch. Stay alert. Don't be sleeping. <laughs> be aware. Look out. Could you not look? Look, you know? And I wonder if the contrast is just meant to, to, further, uh, to further be developed here in this story, that there is a way during hard times and trouble that we there are things that we can do that will cause us to fall asleep, to cause our eyes to become heavy. And there are things to do that can keep us awake, which is why I'm looking at Jesus saying, how did you do it? What's a way to stay on track and to stay awake even in times of trouble? So the first thing that I just wanna say and the most important thing is that Jesus went and prayed. If I can't get you on this point, then the, the rest of it probably won't make sense because I really want to look at his prayer. But just looking at a prayer and not being a person who's committing to it um, is probably not going to go very far. I mean, what's the point, right? And so I just want to encourage you just to, to evaluate right now, am I increasing and growing in my prayer? Am I a person of prayer? Am I a person of prayer when it's not a time of trouble? Because the odds of being a person of prayer in the midst of trouble are increased significantly if when, when we're off the court in a, in a season of rest or peace and still pressing in, that we're gonna get that muscle memory and that ability to, to, to be stretched when, it's, when the times are tough. And I've seen this throughout my life, that prayer is something that is easy to just let go of, to skip, to not do, to not really lean into. But when I... And, when I grew up, I grew up in like a church building, actually, okay? Like, it was a barn that got turned into a place we could live. Anyways, it's an up north kind of deal. And, uh, it, it, but I was brought into everything. I mean, it was like, we're going to church. We're gonna pray. We just walk into the other room, right? And so we're there. And there was a point in my life where I was like, I had moved on, I'm out on my own, and I realized that this is not going to happen to me this is something that I have to say. I am dedicated and I'm taking time to do. And the very first practice that I picked up was to just pray. I have come to the point now in life where I wouldn't trade prayer for anything. I thought about it this week. I just try to make a list of things that I like, my senses, eyes, ears, or whatever, like being able to, I wouldn't trade having the, the ability to lift my heart and mind to God in any moment, be able to connect and, and to, to, to know that he's there and hears and is listening and in communion with me. I think that our ability to be disciples of Jesus in this city and in this time is gonna rise and fall based on if we are gonna be people who are committed to prayer or not. There's a lot of things that you could do with your time, a lot of stuff you can study, and a lot of songs that you can sing or, or whatever, but if we will not be people who go alone in prayer, who go out into the garden of Gethsemane at night 
and start to pray, and if that's not what we're doing, I, I bet you it's just, it's really not gonna move the needle. So am I committed to prayer, furthering my relationship with Jesus? Because if we turn that off, I just don't expect the relationship to really <laughs> to be fruitful uh, as it would be with anyone that you know that you never talked to. Now, if you're into prayer and you're, wa- you're willing to go further with me, I'd like to just take a moment and explore the prayer that Jesus prays here in the garden and wonder, is there anything about that that would be encouraging and that would be a helpful pattern to put into our lives if we find ourselves in the garden? So what Jesus says in verse 36 is this, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. There's three things that uh, we could kind of list off here. There is an identity being talked about. There is reality being talked about. And there is surrender or, or a dedication, a rededication, if you will. Identity is a big part of prayer. Every time that Jesus prays, he prays from this really familial place of identity. Every time he starts off with the word Father. All the prayers that I can look, look for anyways, I see him saying, Father. And in, when his disciples ask him, like, can we pray like that? Can you teach us how to pray? The first thing he says for them to do is to say, our Father. And, and it, it invites us into this affirmation of our relationship and our identity. I know that maybe, maybe some of us didn't grow up feeling like that was a comfortable thing that we could do. But we're just invited into that by Jesus and say, you know what, you may have lived in a very formal environment uh, where you're not able to do that. Maybe you called someone else father or maybe you, you just used formal language and you were told, like, this is how you approach, approach God. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I wonder if there's just something just powerful and profound to know that when we are in a place of need, we can come before somebody that we call father. Now, of course, I'd like to assume that that would elicit positive feelings from you, but maybe it doesn't. And I always like to acknowledge that not everybody just has a, has a good dad and, and that doesn't always bring up really good memories per se. But Jesus doesn't usually, or I don't see him ever saying, see God through the lens of your own dad. He uses this thing called um, how much more so. It's a, a, a paradigm that he teaches out of all the time. But the how much more so paradigm is in the context of evaluating who your heavenly father is. What does he say? Uh, When your son, even though you are evil, you know this, when your son asks for an egg, you're not gonna give him a stone. So how much more so will your heavenly father give to you what you need when you ask? So what he's saying there is, if you're gonna assume anything, assume more, assume perfect, assume beyond what you have and what you already know in your current situation. I like to think of it in terms of um, my three-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Penny, I have her pretty much brainwashed at this point of thinking I'm the world's greatest dad. And I know that that won't last very long, but you gotta try. And we're thick as thieves. And I think about this sometime, though, that when she stands before the Lord one day, 
even though she could have spent a lifetime with me figuring out who she is based on our relationship and, and where I come from and, and, what, and what that does for her, this moment, this one moment where she stands before the Lord, she will know more about who she is and who she was always meant to be with just one interaction with their heavenly father. This is how you start to assume. It's not like she's going to go before the Lord and say, oh, I guess there's a vague similarity between you and my dad. Like, um, it's not like God's going to say to her, I couldn't believe that you thought that would actually be a father to you. I mean, your dad is going to be way more of a father to you than I'll ever be. It's not that. It's the opposite of that. It's, 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 it's way farther than we could ever ask or imagine. The fences that we put up have all been brought down, and we have been brought into a family that we can sit and rely on and speak out when we pray, this is who I am and this is who you are. And this is not in order to belong as a, as a child of God, but it is because we belong as a child of God that we're able to speak this out. Do you know your identity and speak it out during prayer? Because when you arrive in that garden someday, this is gonna be something that really helps you feel stable, feels deep, feels like you can stay on track. Mark actually does something that nobody else does is he uses this Aramaic word. Did you guys notice that? Abba? Take a chance on, you know. Uh, that's what I think of when I hear that word anyways. I sing that song to myself all the time. Take a chance on me. Um, this is called a transliteration, all right? This is, this is not a translated word. Um, when you see the word next to it, father, that's a translation. There's a Greek word for father. And we, so we, we put that in English. But in Greek, they use the Greek letters to spell an Aramaic word, alpha, beta, beta, alpha. So we put A, B, B, A. This is, this, this is the exact word almost. Um, and so what do you do with the transliteration like this? Why did Mark think this was important to say this? I have one quote that I wanted to read to you to, to take it a, into a little bit different of a light, Maddie. Abba, as a way of addressing God, is the fancy Latin word for the very voice, the very voice, an authentic original utterance of Jesus. We are confronted here with something new and astounding, and herein lies the great novelty of the gospel. We're brought into something new and astounding. It's confronting to us. Any other prayer that you can find that I know of in their culture is in Hebrew. It's not Aramaic. It's, a, it's this formal religious language. It sounds like Baruch Atah, Adonai Eloheinu, Melech HaOlam. That is like a very common line that you'll start a prayer with. It sounds like this. Blessed are you, O Lord God, King of the universe, Melech HaOlam. It's a very formal sounding thing. It's not even in a language that they speak on a regular basis. But here, we have Jesus doing something new and astounding that nobody else has done before. Nobody is saying, you can, you can speak with this word to God. Now, I know there's like a spectrum of, of how to interpret that, and there's people, you know, who will say it means this or it means that, and, um, and I think it's always somewhere in between. It is a, I don't think there's a magic word here, Abba, we have to say that. I think 
it's indicating something really profoundly vulnerable and meaningful, and it's in this context. That's how I read that. In this context, Jesus is not driven to a formal address. Jesus doesn't, tell, doesn't display the need to keep things formal and structured in this space. And I want to just preach that out. If you are in a space where the darkness has just surrounded you, if you're in a space where you have been burnt by the black sun of suffering, somehow you just feel like, I don't know what to, I am just struggling, right? Like he is to the point of death. You don't have to be formal. There's a word here that's used that shows us like, a, a, the, the, like feel like you can be safe at home, like the person that you know most in the world is there. And the person that teaches me more about this moment than anybody else right now is my 18-month-old daughter, Georgia, and she can't even talk just because she hasn't learned how to yet. There's no. But when she needs me, she does not say, sir. And I do not make her say, sir, what to respond when she needs me. She shrieks and says whatever sound that she wants to say to communicate, I need you right now. And because I am her father, I am able to turn towards that and say, I hear you. I hear the sound. I'm able to translate that. I can decipher what that means. I am going to help you get through this. She's got a lot to teach us about what it means to be able to be in this space and pray this word and be able to say, this is just where I'm at right now. Am I able to just open up my mouth and just communicate with you in a way that feels safe and at home and feels like, like you get me on that level? You are free to be able to do that and to pray that, especially if you are in the context where you just really just need to just, just talk like this. Because this is who we are. Because Jesus has made a way for us to be a part of this family. And it's real. And so we are able to speak like that. Maybe it would be helpful to add that to your prayer. The second thing I notice about this prayer is everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Indicates to me a balanced rhythm or, or a balanced moment of true, like, reality, like I feel, I, he's communicating something he really feels right now, but he's also praying out something true about God at the same time. It's very important to get that balance, I think. Um, on the one side, being able to just say, this is where I'm at right now. What does it mean to say, take this cup from me, right? The cup is re referring to the cup of wrath, the cup of redemption, things that Tim Bassett talked about last week, um, going from a metaphor from the Seder dinner. Uh, and he's basically saying, I just don't feel like I could do this right now. I cannot drink this. I, I, I don't feel, I feel too overwhelmed for this right now. Is there any way that we could not do this? I, that is how I feel. And I don't know about you, but I just didn't grow up really. And I, I guess I talk about this to people all the time where many people haven't felt 
Like they were given permission to just be honest with God. Hyperbole or not, like is this true? Have you, to just say, this is how I feel. Have you ever felt like you are just free to be able to be honest and to just say, I don't know right now. I feel lost. I feel like I'm in darkness. I feel like I'm overwhelmed. I feel like I can't take another step right now. God welcomes our tr- honesty. And if you think that's not true right now, I just want to challenge that and say Jesus himself, okay, is in this situation doing these things. I'm not going to be the guy that says that was his problem uh, and muscle through it myself. I'm, I just want to receive the grace given here by Jesus saying, feel free to just say to God, I cannot carry this right now. That's how I feel. I cannot do this. Now, that is a really cathartic and good thing, like to hear. Um, it's always nice to be set free, to be honest. But what's the difference between that right there and, and then somebody who's actually in the world and who isn't a Christian? That may also just be a true thing that other people do, just say, I'm on, just be honest. But here we have something very heavy and substantial weighing down the other side of the scale, something that not everybody has. Faith, statement of truth about God, all things are possible for you. I think that this is a very healthy practice that I think all of us need to just consider putting into our prayer life where we are just doing things um, to, to inspire more fluency about the truth of the character of God, what we know to be true about him. This will come in very handy if we ever start to feel like overwhelmed by that other side of honesty where we're at. That side of things can get us off track, can start to feel, can make us feel bogged down and and in despair. But in that context, there is still a true thing about God that we can speak, that can help get us back on track, which is things like this. I feel like it's impossible for me right now, but you know what I know, you know what I believe is that all things are possible for you. What power comes from just speaking out this truth about who it is that we're talking to, who it is that loves us and that we're calling Father is somebody who is able to do this, do what we can't do. I can't do this, but I know that you can. I can't say it right right now, but I know that it's possible for you to understand me. I can't necessarily carry this. It's too heavy for me, but I know that you can. And I bet you, as this becomes part of the rhythm, it, it might be something that just helps us take one step forwards on that path. No, Jesus' prayer here doesn't like literally get answered the way he wanted to. And maybe that's not the point. Maybe the point is just being free to say, this is where I'm at and I'm trusting you and I know who you are and I'm bringing it to you. Sometimes that can be so, like, can lift just as much of that burden as we will need to be able to take the next step. All things are possible for you. I am overwhelmed right now. (laughs) Lastly, this line at the end of the prayer, not my will but yours be done. There's a couple ways that we can read that that can kind of, if we cut and paste that into our life, can be sort of dysfunctional. One way is um, basically saying, uh, this is what I want, 
And I'm just qualifying it by saying, but your will be done, but really I just believe that you're going to do what I want anyways. Um, which would be kind of ironic to read it like that because don't you remember in chapter 10, the disciples came to Jesus and said that. They go, do for us whatever we want. And if he was in a situation now where he has a need and just said, do for me whatever I want, um, and I'm putting it in your hands or in a manipulative kind of way, um, that would just be a contradiction. What am I saying? You know, like making this into some sort of, if you love something, let it go, but it will return to you if you just say, but thy will be done kind of situation. Um, Furthermore, I think that it can be kind of hard hurtful and confusing at times to say my will is the good thing and your will is probably the bad thing, like whatever not my will is. And I only say that to just sort of protect, this may not make any sense to you, but to protect you from a situation where you start to get confused about is God's will good or not. If you were praying in a situation with somebody who, you know, was experiencing evil experiencing something that wasn't a part of the plan, but you just sort of, you know, just casually say, well, I want this to not be a part of, a part of this person's life, but maybe you do. I don't know. That just seems like you're, you're putting words into, we could be putting words into God's mouth. I mean, when, when he teaches us to pray in Matthew 6, he says, say this, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven indicating that there's stuff going on on earth that isn't lining up with the will. And we're praying for the will to line up because we know what God's will is. God's will is for humanity to be redeemed, for human flourishing, for love and harmony, to be at work within our communities and our bodies. This is why I think it's important that Jesus, at the end of his prayer, has a moment here where he says, I just want to lodge of of a line of surrender and affirm that I know what you're doing and I I am on board with that. His body in a physical sense is feeling recoil from the perspective of suffering that's about to happen. That is a very normal thing. He's basically saying, I feel stuff that's dragging me away. But in this context, on this dark night, I wanna say to you, God, I see what you're doing and I'm into it. And that can be a very powerful thing to add to our prayers as well. Do you have just a robust way of talking about what you believe the will of God is for us on our cruciform journey together? Do you ever like just speak out? I know what you want to have in this situation right now. I feel kind of weird about it, but I know that you want to see grace uh, advance, that you want to see forgiveness in this situation. I know that you want to bring people together, not bring us apart. I know that this is your will, and I'm praying for your will to be done. I am on board with that. Jesus knows that this is the will of God, that he would continue towards on this path that he's been talking about since chapter eight. He knows that this is where he is going, that the cross before him is going to mean a, a bullseye for God's will in this world, self-sacrificial love that unleashes everybody from bondage that, that we are in and empowers us to see new creation through the resurrection that happens herein. This is the will of God that Jesus knows and he sees it and he says, I want that too. 
This can be a very important thing to draw us and lift us up out of our pettiness and out of our, situa- our personal situation and say, I know that I'm a part of something bigger. I know I'm a part of something that is advancing. I know I'm a part of something that is headed towards resurrection. And I just wanna speak it out in my prayer right now and say that yes, yes and amen to that. So these are my thoughts. And anything that you might have going on along this way here, let me just reiterate. Have you been adding just identity, a rich, rooted identity to your Father in heaven, to your prayer? If you're in a place right now where you're feeling lost, place that I often feel, this would be a great place to start. I like to go around sometimes and just literally write a bio of myself in my mind using only New Testament language because I really wanna say this is my identity and this is what's true for me. I know it sounds silly, but it helps to push it down to just say, insert name here, I am this, hi, this is true about me. I am a son. I am a one who is loved by my father. This is who he happens to be. This is what our family is all about. This is what we're trying to do in this world, right? Okay, so this is TMI, I know, right, for my own prayer life. Um, But to me, this is a way to reinforce and construct things on the foundation of identity of being a child of God. Abba, Father, you are free to speak that out and to enter into that, especially in a time where you feel like you're in a Gethsemane moment. Furthermore, you are able to also be somebody who is free to speak out your mess and your situation. But I also wanna encourage you to also speak out the truth that you know deep down about who God is and lift that up and and compare the two and see if that can uh, help lift some of that overwhelming, anxious feeling sometimes that we feel in these moments. Be a person who is also just speaking truth I am in this situation, but I know that this is who you are. And in that place of faith, I think we can uh, stay on track. If you are in a spot right now where you just haven't seen the vision of the cross in a while, then just see that before you and know that Jesus wants to speak out at the end of this prayer an affirmation of the path of the cross, where he is going. He knows what God's will is, and he says yes and amen to that will. We're not gonna do this perfectly, especially if you are in a very painful situation like this. But we at least, I think, if we continue to pray like Jesus, we can see our eyelids to become more and less heavy like these guys. I think that this type of thing can really help us, these type of prayers can really help us be a people who stay awake, who are alert, who can see traps coming, and who who follow Jesus, our great shepherd on the path the cross. This is where resurrection is going to happen in this community, in your relationships. This is where the kingdom of heaven is going to be put on display in our lives. And maybe this will be a contributing factor to you staying on track with God. Let's just take a moment and pray through this. The band is just going to pray. Pray and play a song over us. So take as much time as you need to get comfortable and to just think through where you're at right now. We have uh, communion stations around the room. If you feel just as a person, just this would be right for you right now, that's always gonna be there throughout Lent.
Father in heaven, we come to you as a community of people who are just extremely grateful to be a part of your family and to know that you know our sorrow and grief, that you are not far from us, Teach us how to pray again. Jesus, show us who you are, a man of sorrow who, in Hebrews chapter five, we are told that you lift up loud cries you, and, and you prayed while you were here on this earth. And even now, are you, I know that you are interceding on our behalf. And so we just want to enter into that and be like you and let that be a, a conduit um, of our further transformation in this world. If any of my brothers and sisters here have never been told that you are adopted into the family of God, let that be prevalent, pronounced, and true, and confirm that. Holy Spirit, I know that you confirm, you testify with our spirit when, when it cries out, Abba, Father. When we cry, just when we have the cry of a child, you affirm that. And so even now, if there's anyone who just hasn't felt that in a while, or maybe has never felt that, you could flood them with affirmation that you are a part of God's family. You have a seat at his table. He knows you very well. Just wanna pray for clear eyes and a vision of where this is all going so that we can be lifted up and encouraged outside of just our own experience right now and to see that we're a part of something bigger, something that reveals you to this world. And that is something that we'd all die for. You've been doing this for thousands of years, and so we just come to you and say, even now, do it again. Amen.